Amen. Good morning and Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, yeah, sweet. I hope everybody's Christmas break, as much as it may or may not have been a Christmas break for each individual, was still great and pretty awesome and um, great time spent with family, um, great time spent in the snow that we've gotten. Love the snow. I personally do. Um, yeah, and New Year's. I hope New Year's was a good time as well. Lots of good meals, good food, had with family, some dinners, some, some worship, yeah, yeah, lots of, I, yeah, lots of good fellowship, that's great, I hope everybody had lots of good meals and, and food that won't be worked off at the gyms anytime soon, but, um, yeah, awesome, so I was, I was actually planned and scheduled to speak last week, and I prepared a message, and I was all set to go, then I came down with a cold, and um, I ended up not speaking. And I, but I found out that the week after, like the Sunday after Christmas is usually like the designated youth pastor speaks at church day, which I didn't know until this year. Um, they usually give like the senior pastor a break. So I, I was fine. I was like, I'm all set to go. And then I got sick. So my dad filled in. And then I got him sick. So I'm filling in this day. And we're all better now. So... Don't freak out. We're good. Yeah. So I, I prepared a message. Uh, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 3, um, I prepared a message uh, that we're going to focus on today about adoring Jesus and specifically from this book of Galatians. And, and this message came from a message I preached earlier this month at Awake Vancouver Church, our, our, our friends over there in Vancouver. Um, who needs a Bible? Does anyone need a Bible? Put your hand up if you need a Bible, because we have some in the back. We could turn some lights on so we can see the hands. Yeah, uh, we're going to follow along together. But I preached this message at Awake Vancouver Church and changed it up, and I think it's still pretty relevant um, today. So I'm excited to kick off the new year with this message to share with all of you. So Galatians chapter 3, as a youth group, we were actually going through the book of Galatians, and we finished. We started in September, and we just finished early December. It was a great series, great study. Uh, I love the book of Galatians. I think it's so gospel-centered and relevant for uh, anybody who reads it, honestly. You could get something out of this book. So I'm excited to go through this message about adoring Jesus. Let's do it. So um, what does adoring Jesus mean? We could start there. Adoration is the deep love and respect paid to somebody that we revere. That's kind of a, a general definition of kind of the word adoration. In the Bible, we don't really see the word adore used much, um, but, the, but a word closest to it would have to be the Greek word proskuneo. Put that up on the screen. And proskuneo means to bow down or to revere. The root word means to kiss. So the idea, the idea of proskuneo is to kiss the ground in reverence before somebody. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, we see the wise men traveling to see King Jesus after his birth. And they declare in verse 2 there, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And the word translated worship there is the same word proskuneo, which implies this adoration, this, this reverence toward the Son of God. 
Even though this season where we take time to focus on the birth of Christ is coming to an end, you know, Christmas, the month of December, we usually focus on that. Uh, it's coming to an end because we're in the new year, obviously. It is worthwhile to still ponder this idea of adoring Jesus. And this should be a fundamental focus of this time anyway. That should be a fund- fundamental focus of our everyday lives as Christians, adoring Jesus. So I wanted to go through this passage of Paul's letter to the Galatians that describes a great reason that we have um, in, adora- in, in adoration of Jesus. So uh, before we get to reading scripture, I just wanted to pray right now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and this new year, Lord. And we don't know what this new year holds. And we know that you do, and we pray that we have faith in you to just trust in everything that you have in store, you have planned, and we're excited to go through this word, and I pray that it would just be uh, meaningful to us, impactful to us, and encouraging so that we can live all the more for you as a result, Lord, of just being in your word this morning. Amen. So Galatians is a letter that, that Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia, which is a region of It's an area in modern-day Turkey. He's writing this letter where he deals with an arising problem of legalism in the church. See, the Galatians were beginning to be led off track from the true gospel that Paul has so clearly taught and laid out to them. Paul knew a lot of these Christians in Galatia firsthand. He, he had relationships with them. He had friendships. He was there for his missionary journeys. He helped to establish them as an early church. So to hear reports of, of them getting led off track of that clear and straightforward, simple gospel that he has taught them and discipled them through, that it's all about Jesus, he's hearing that they're taking that true gospel and kind of getting it twisted and getting it uh, mixed up and, and, and misinterpreted and adding on other things, legalism to that. And he's like, what's going on? I got to write them a letter. I got I to get them, I got to get this sorted out. So the Galatians were beginning to be let off track. And the, the, the reason why is because the, the faulty party were the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the false teachers spreading this idea that in order to be a true Christian, along with faith in Christ, you also must keep the law. And we know that's, that's a faulty way of thinking. That's a false understanding of the gospel. Because if you hear any sort of message that says, in order to be saved, it's Jesus plus something. You know that's wrong. You could just ignore that because the true message of the gospel is it's just Jesus. Jesus plus nothing else. Paul's letter to the Galatians is really him trying to convince them that if the law was truly able to save us and to make us righteous, then why would we need Jesus? He, he puts that simple question before them. I think Romans chapter 8, verse 3, a great verse, helps, to help us, helps us to understand this point. It says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, that's a bit of a spoiler of what Paul explains in our passage that we're going to be going, to, going through today. Um, And that is that the insufficiencies of the law were made up by the sufficiency of Christ. Jesus is sufficient for us. So with that, let's let's, uh, kick it off. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 10 through to uh, verse 14, but we'll start with the first couple verses here. So verse 10. 
For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the, in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So verse 10 makes it clear right off the bat. The law brings a curse. If you are working with the attempt to keep the law, then you are under the curse of the law. And there's a couple things that we could say about curses. Maybe even you, you, you might describe curses to describe yourself. Like you're under different curses with your life, you know. A couple I can name off the top of my head, maybe the curse of, um, I don't know, beauty, you know. No, sorry, I just have the curse of beauty. What can I say? Or the uh, one that I'm becoming more and more aware of is the curse of age, you know, <laughs> growing up. You know, we went snowboarding, skiing on uh, Tuesday with the youth group, and some of, these, some of these kids, you know, some of these teens, they're pretty, they're pretty good, okay. Um, I'll, I'll give them some pride there, but they're... Yeah, I was just trying to keep up with them and keep up at the same speed. And meanwhile, they're like weaving through all the trees at the speed that I'm going on the regular run. And they're going off huge jumps and everything. And I remember seeing, I'm not sure if they were part of our group, but I remember seeing one kid go off of a pretty large jump and get lots of air and then just like biff the landing. And like, like hit, they hit the ice hard and ran like tumbled down a bit for a few seconds and I was just like cringing watching I was like oh that sucks they're gonna be down they're gonna be down for a bit uh but then they just got up and kept skiing like nothing even happened I'm like are you kidding me like that wasn't a soft landing I'm like if that was me I would still be there right this minute like I would I wouldn't have gotten up so curse of age um, I also think for Avengers, Marvel fans, the curse of knowledge, Thanos says to Tony Stark, you know, you're cursed with knowledge, Tony. But anyway, that's not, any, that's not the curse that we're talking about here. The curse that we're talking about is the curse of the law. And what is the curse that the law brings? That is the curse of sin. You know, you might have your own curses, but we're all collectively under the curse of sin because the law brings that curse and we're all under that. So one thing to note, just moving forward, is that it isn't the law that makes us sin. It's the law that reveals our sin. That's, that's the, its purpose. That's what the law does. It reveals to us our sin. Paul isn't trying to teach the Galatians what the purpose... Sorry, Paul is trying to teach the Galatians what the purpose of the law was all along. Since it was first given to Moses by the Ten Commandments... And then later, adding on a total of 613 commands listed in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what the law is. And the law's purpose was never meant to make us righteous. Instead, its purpose was to reveal our unrighteousness. That's why verse 10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you... Try to continue in all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you do not continue and, and do them all, then you're cursed. That's what that's saying. Paul is quoting a passage from Deuteronomy here, Deuteronomy 27, 26, which in other words is saying, you are cursed by following the law because you will always fall short of the law's standards. 
The law was meant to show us our true present condition, that we are saturated by sin and born into corruption. So curses everyone who does not follow the law. Because we cannot keep the law, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we may do, by our own will or power, we will always miss the mark that God has set up for us. That's what Romans 3.23 helps us to know. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Pretty boldly stated. Pretty hard to misunderstand. To plainly put it, God's standard for us is perfection. And that's a standard that we can never meet on our own. Anyone who tries to gain righteousness by attempting to keep the law is doing so in vain. So I know what you might be thinking, Cole, this is a bit of a downer of a message. We get it already. Move on to the upside. Here's the upside. Verse 11 tells us we are not justified by the law, but by faith. Verse 11 brings forward this, this upside. Okay, now we, get, now we get the good news here. Okay, we understand we're cursed. Here's the good news. We're justified by faith, and we aren't justified by the law. This concept of being justified by faith was first mentioned in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. The just shall live by his faith. If we want to achieve righteousness and live justly, the only way to do that is by faith in Jesus, and it's, it's not through the law. The law was never meant to save us. See, the, laws, the purpose of the law was meant to point us to Jesus, and through Jesus, we're able to be saved. A couple of verses that help us understand that point is uh, Romans 1, 16, 17. I love this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Another key verse to help understand this relationship is <clears throat> Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When faced with our own helpless situation, at the realization that the law is not our Savior, God provides us with the perfect Savior that we needed. That's Jesus. And then in the next chapter of Galatians, Paul mentions this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. <clears throat> God would send his son for us. And Paul describes what this accomplishes, what this accomplished in the next passage. In the next part of our passage, Paul describes what that accomplished. So let's look at verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So verse 13 mentions and makes clear that Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law. So we are now given a much better alternative. We go from working hard to try to keep the law and to earn God's favor through our own righteousness to now putting our faith in Jesus and the perfect work that he has done to be covered by his righteousness. 
We can now have favor with God, not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but because it is offered to us freely in Jesus. And that's what grace is. That's what the gospel is, really. Jesus was able to offer us his righteousness by taking our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And to think about that verse, the concept of this verse, I think like, that's a pretty remarkable transaction. It's essentially Jesus trading his righteousness for our curse. He's like, hey, you got your curse, I got my righteousness, let's make a trade. And you're obviously getting the better end of the deal, but I want to help you that way. We get, the, we get the better end of the deal because Jesus loves us and he wanted to redeem us back to him through that. He knew that that was the only way to do it. He took on our sins so, so we can take on his righteousness, doing for us what the law could never do, make us righteous before God. I've heard it said that Jesus not only died for our sins, he also lived for our righteousness. And that's a cool way to look at his life and what he, what he accomplished by, by coming to the world, right? You know, he came, he was born of a woman, he came as a child, he was raised, uh, the Bible says he was tempted just as we are, yet without sin in Hebrews. Um, he went through life, he, 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 was, he, was, he went through the same things that we go, yet he never sinned. He, he kept the law in its entirety. He never broke any of the commands written in the law. He did what we could not do. He kept it, and in doing so, he fulfilled the righteousness. He fulfilled the standard that God held us to that we could not meet. He met that, but yet he still went to the cross. He still took the punishment for the curse of breaking the law. He still took that. He was doing that in our place in order to be able to give us his righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Since we have put our faith in Jesus, God doesn't look down and see our sin. He sees Christ's righteousness instead. Jesus has lifted the curse. He became that curse for us on the cross. That's why it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And then at the end of that verse, it says, Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 21, 23 here, which gives instruction on what to do for a criminal who is deserving of, of death, of capital punishment. In such a circumstance, uh, if it is necessary, they would be hung on a tree. But this verse and this command gives uh, detailed instruction on how to handle that because somebody should not be excessively kept up on hanging on a tree longer than necessary because the Jews recognized the curse and humiliation that this would be. This would bring to that person, to that person's family, even to the community and the land in that region. So they wouldn't leave the person up longer than, than necessary. And crucifixion, although the Jews never used it, it was a Roman invention for capital punishment. The cross that Jesus hung on at his crucifixion would often be called a tree. That's one of, the, one of the, the names it was known by. And I don't doubt that Paul had this in mind when he was quoting this verse, because obviously he's quoting this verse to refer to Jesus hanging on the tree, Jesus hung on a cross in our place. His readers would have known that. They would have recognized that. They would have pointed them directly to Jesus. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was aware of the intense suffering that he would undergo. 
He knew that his sacrifice on the cross was the only thing that would be able to save us. He knew that taking the curse of sin upon himself would not be an easy feat, but one he and only he was willing and able to do for us. And as a result of his perfect work, we have been set free. We've been set free from the curse of the law that we were held in bondage to, that we were bound to. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This is a great declaration Paul is able to make uh, towards the end of this, this letter he's writing. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We now have liberty in Jesus. Through Jesus, we don't have to go back to the law. The law is what we were once bound to. We were in bondage to. But Jesus has broken that. He's released us from that, um, from that burden. And he's given us liberty in him. And that's what we need to stand fast in. That's what we need to be steadfast in. That's what we need to continue in. Verse 14 also brings another amazing thing to, to rejoice about. Verse 14, I'll reread it. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. On top of that liberty that we have received, it says right there that we are also adopted into the family of God. And if you will, look at little ways at the end of this chapter, starting in verse 26, Another great passage about the same idea, the same concept is, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So through his blood, Jesus not only makes us righteous, he has also brought us into the family of God. We are, we are adopted as his children. Just as God made a promise to Abraham that he will make, him a, he will make his descendants a great nation, that they will be his people and he will be their God, through Jesus we become heirs of that same promise. We've, we're part of that promise. This promise, is, this, this promise is what we know as the, the Abrahamic covenant originally because it was the covenant God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, verses 1 to 3 of that chapter says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the, that's the promise God made with Abraham. This is the Abrahamic covenant. It's also known as the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was limited to a specific group, the Jews. But now through the New Covenant brought forth in Christ, anybody can be, become an adopted child of God. It's available for anyone and it's open for anyone. All it takes is faith in Jesus. And with this message, this is already a pretty unifying 
message. Anybody can come forth. It's not just a specific people group. It's not a specific requirement you have to meet. All it takes is faith in Jesus, and that's available to anybody, no matter what you've done in life. It's available today. That's a very unifying message, but I think verse 28 is even more unifying when it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, when we, when we put our faith in Jesus, we become his, and he becomes our identity. We put on Christ because through him we live. Our old selves that represent the curse, that represent sin, corruption, have been put to death. They've been crucified on the cross with Christ. And why would we, why would we want to live any longer in that? We have freedom. We have life in Christ. Why do we want to live in our dead bodies that pursue corruption, sin, the curse? Paul made this his identity. So much so that he boldly proclaims and claims to spiritually partake in the crucifixion with Jesus. You might know the verse I'm talking about. In the same book, in the same letter he wrote to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. That's, the, that's the gospel in that verse as well. That's a, such a gospel-centered verse, and how it, how it personally relates to us, how it personally affects us. That's Paul's reaction and his declaration that he makes there is one that I believe that we could all make as believers. And we should all make. We should have this um, spiritually, uh, spiritual crucifixion that we partake of with Christ's crucifixion as well. Because if you're saved, you should acknowledge that you've put to death your old self, the self that was corrupted by sin in the world, and you are now living for Christ. When we take a moment to contemplate all of this, it is hard not to be brought to a point of rejoice for all of these things that Jesus has done for us, um, all the reasons we have to adore him, for all that Jesus has done for us, the perfect work he's accomplished to save us. And all of this gives us much, much reason to adore Jesus. He has done what we couldn't do for ourselves. So just in conclusion here, when it comes to adoring Jesus through this passage in Galatians, this is a bit of a like a quick summary of the book of Galatians, some of the main themes, and then some, some other scriptures. But uh, I wanted to take a step back to see the simple use of that word adore. Like, what's, let's get a definition once again, just to recap. So what does it mean to adore? I, I found a couple interesting definitions from Webster's Dictionary. First one is this. To adore means to worship with profound reverence, to pay divine honors to, to honor as deity or as divine. And the second definition is this, to love in the highest degree, to regard with the utmost esteem and affection. And I think that both of those definitions do a great job in just being, going hand in hand with each other. The first one is more worship focused and the other is more love focused. I think when we're talking about this idea of adoring Jesus, we must have both. We must have worship and love. Like we have so much to adore Jesus through all that he has done for us. But our love for him should naturally lead us into true and authentic worship to him. With that, I'm going to call the worship team up because we will close with a song.
He has redeemed us back to the Father, paying the price for us to be His children. He came to the world that He created, but we corrupted. He lived a life being tempted as we are, yet without sin. He went to the cross, taking our curse upon Himself and putting it to death. He has liberated us from the curse of our sin. And since this is the first Sunday together in the new year, you know, I, I don't want to do the cheesy New Year's kind of conclusion message where new year, new you, same Jesus kind of message. But with that, we don't know what the year holds. Uh, we might have some inclination or idea or suspicion. That's okay to have, but we don't know. But we know that God absolutely does. And with that, my prayer for all of us is, may we have a sincere and genuine adoration towards Him. That we may live out our lives in worship to Him because of the love that we have for Him. This is an everyday thing for us as believers. I pray that, that this year we would press into Him all the more, more than we ever have, more than we have in any other point in our life, that we would continue to grow in Him, that we would allow Him to work in our lives and in our hearts, to build us and shape us into the people that, that He wants us to be so that we can accomplish the work that He wants us to do, that He desires for us to be a part of. I pray that, that we're taking our relationship with Him seriously. You know, relationships take work. It's not something that's, uh, it takes time, right? Time, relationships are all about time. The more time you spend with somebody, the, the more closer and better and stronger your relationship will be. And it's the same with God. If our relationship with God is limited to single Sunday service on a Sunday morning, then we're slacking. So I pray that this year we can set aside as much time as we have to spend with Him because it's so rich and so beneficial to, for us in, in our lives and May He um, get all the glory through our lives. And that's our worship. That's how we live our lives. We live our lives in worship to Him. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. With all this, I hope that there is much reason to adore Jesus and that we've found some. And going from here today that we can continue in that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this morning and this new year that You've given us, Lord, and all the blessings that You've blessed us with. Lord, I thank you for the, the blessing it was to take communion together, just to start off the new year, just commemorating and remembering the sacrifice that you paid for us, Lord, by shedding your blood and laying down your body in order to give us life in you, give us salvation in you, Lord. I pray that we never take that for granted and we continue to grow in you in our own lives, Lord. I pray that our worship would be genuine. I pray that our worship would be sincere. I pray that we would be so in love with you that living our lives in true worship to you is the only thing that we can do, God. So I pray for everything that this year holds and all the plans that you have for us, Lord. I pray that you would continue to enrich us, to bless us, to work on our hearts, to help us to live for you boldly and more than we ever have, Lord. We lift this up in your name. Amen.